Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me as always to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seth Patrick and James Hunt. We'll be discussing the latest comic book movie and TV news and then we'll explore one movie or television show in depth during our main discussion. This week we'll be casting our eyes over the eight episode Marvel miniseries Agent Carter. Just a quick bit of housekeeping before we get underway. We're delighted to announce that going forward, Cinematic Universe will be partnering with the excellent website FilmDivider.com. So, henceforth, Cinematic Universe will be a Film Divider podcast. And in addition to all of the usual places that you can find the show, you'll also be able to access it through FilmDivider.com. You'll also probably see more articles written by us on that site uh, related to the things we discuss on the podcast. Um, And we'll actually be discussing one of those in our upcoming news segment. So that's that announcement out of the way. Um, But before we get to the news, I am, as always, going to ask Seb and James to explain a comics concept that as a movie fan, I just don't understand. So, Seb, James, we've got a Captain Marvel movie coming, but I want to know kind of basically what's the history of Captain Marvel, who is she, and what's the difference between Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel? There are there are like eight questions wrapped up in there. <laughs> I was going to say if you, I mean, if you, if you want us to go over the history of all the different characters who've been Captain Marvel, we could be here all day. But suffice to say, uh, DC have got one, and Marvel have had several. DC's is Shazam, right? Yeah, he's also Shazam, but he was originally Captain Marvel. Okay. Um, and that what basically happened was Captain Marvel was a rip off of Superman. Uh, who who sold more than Superman? So DC sued his publisher um, to get him them put out of business. Then Marvel realised that they could put out a comic also called Captain Marvel while there wasn't a, a Captain Marvel over at Fawcett Comics because they no longer existed. So Marvel did their own Captain Marvel in the seventies. DC then bought the assets of Fawcett Comics and started publishing Captain Marvel comics in the eighties, but they were not allowed to call them Captain Marvel comics on the cover. So on the cover they were known as Shazam because Shazam was Captain Marvel's Captain uh, magic word to turn him into Captain Marvel. Um, and gradually over the years, they've started less and less actually even referring to him as Captain Marvel in the comics. And as of the new 52 relaunch, his official name is Shazam. So DC no longer have a character called Captain Marvel. As to Marvel's Captain Marvel, I will hand that one over to James. <laughs> okay, so I'll skip most of the Captain Marvels and start. There's the original one who 
was a Kree defector, basically, who became uh, the protector of Earth. While he was in that role, Carol Danvers got kidnapped by, I believe it was another Kree. Uh, It was someone called Yon-Rog. She got kidnapped by Yon-Rog and uh, got caught in an explosion, which gave her powers. Uh, So she became Miss Marvel. Okay. Uh, The original Captain Marvel died, and basically she took over. Like, there's a lot of stuff in between... But she just said, screw this, I'm not Miss Marvel anymore, I'm Captain Marvel. Yes. Uh, And so after that, someone else took on the Miss Marvel alias, uh, which is the current Miss Marvel comic. Right, which is, that's quite a well-respected comic, right? Yeah, it's, um, I've not actually read it, I've only read the first issue, but it's doing really, like, it's one of the few comics that sells better in digital than print. So, you know, it's basically the first of the future wave of comics. Okay, I mean, I think I can get my head around all of that. But basically, we're getting a Marvel movie about Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel, and that Miss Marvel, who might be someone completely different, might still exist out in the future MCU somewhere. Yeah, I mean, the important thing about the current Miss Marvel is that she's an Inhuman, and obviously there's a big sort of push to involve the Inhumans in the cinematic universe, so I think it's very likely the thing is as well she takes the name ms marvel because she was a fan of ms marvel when she was ms marvel before she was captain marvel so if you were doing her in the films you couldn't have that element but you could still have her be a fan of captain marvel who decides to call herself ms marvel (laughs) i would be very surprised if they didn't put kamala khan in the captain marvel movie based on her current popularity the idea of a hero who becomes a hero because they're a fan of an existing hero is such an irresistible thing that i can't believe hasn't been done in the films yet so it will be a good hook for them to do in the future okay so we'll move on to this week's comic book movie news segment and seb you're probably going to be the guy to start with here because um i mentioned on the mini side last week that there is going to be a tv adaptation of lucifer and since we recorded we found out that tom ellis who will be best known to uk audiences as that hunky guy off of miranda uh he will be lucifer so Seb, you've written about Lucifer. What is the TV series going to be, and do you hold out much hope for it? Um, in a word, no. But I'm not even <laughs> sure it's going to get past pilot stage. So yeah, if you head over to Film Divider, you'll see that um, I wrote a piece more focused on how the script compares to the comic rather than whether it's any good. Um, the answer to that is that it doesn't. Uh, it bears little to no relation to the comic. It's it's not even that they've changed plot and character stuff in a way that a good adaptation can do. It's that it's so different in every thematic and stylistic sense from the comic that you wonder why it is even a licensed adaptation of the comic. Because the character of Lucifer, the devil, is in the public domain. <laughs> so uh, why have they decided to make it an adaptation of an incredibly dense, literary, metaphysical theological comic that i mean it's a great great comic as far as uh, my my knowledge on it goes that lucifer is kind of vaguely based on david bowie in terms of a visual look is that right um, among other things but yeah, yeah. It's, so so the comic is actually a spin-off of the sandman yeah that's what i was going to ask so lucifer was a character in sandman and then they spun him off Yes, so in in Sandman he abandons hell um, because his big thing is that he realises that essentially everything he's done since the fall, rather than being of his own free will, has actually also just all been part of God's plan as well. And he's a bit sick of predestination 
and living out God's plan. So he quits hell and goes off to live his own life, which ultimately ends up with him running a a piano bar in Los Angeles. So that's where he is at the end of Sandman. And then the Lucifer series picks up on that and explores even further his attempt to break free of the yoke of God's creation, essentially. Um, And without giving away too much in the way of spoilers, it culminates in the creation of an entirely new cosmos. Um, it's, It's pretty big, pretty heavy stuff. And the TV show is going to be a police procedural? Yeah, so the TV show is about the devil having quit hell because, and to quote directly the di- the dialogue, um, because he says he hates all that predestination hoo ha. That's good. They they really boiled it down into one yeah. one quick delivery. And basically, he just gads about LA, driving around, shagging women. Somebody gets murdered, and for the first time, he feels a small le- level of personal responsibility towards them. Although I'm not entirely sure why in this instance, and actually. Other characters say to him, well, how come you care in this instance, but you didn't before? And he's not really able to give a convincing answer. And if if your own script is questioning your character's motives, that's maybe not a good sign. Um, So, yeah, so he he helps the the policewoman who's investigating to solve the murder. And so essentially by the end of it, it's become elementary, but with the devil. Um, I mean, I, I basically think there's nothing that sums up the Lucifer script better than the fact that the script describes that the number plate on his Cadillac reads Hail S8N. Okay, let's move on to a, another TV show that is currently assembling its cast for its pilot that um, I think I think we're all like at least intrigued by. Uh, this is Supergirl. So we already knew that Melissa Benoist had been cast as Supergirl, and I mentioned on the mini-side last week that Callista Flockhart had been cast as a potential series regular, and also that they are looking for a body double for a DC hero. So essentially that Superman's going to be part of this show, but maybe just in kind of like, you know, you'll occasionally, you could occasionally see him with his back to camera. Superman is definitely going to be part of the show, because they've cast Dean Cain in it. Well... That is this news. Dean Kane has now joined the cast, as has Helen Slater, who was the original Supergirl, in casting that is reminiscent of what happened on, well, A, Smallville, because they both popped up at Small on Smallville at one point or another, and of The Flash, which cast John Wesley Shipp as uh, The Flash's dad. Yep, and Mark Hamill is showing up to play exactly the same character in Flash that he did in the original yeah. series as well, which is awesome. Also this week, we've seen that uh, Chyla Lee has joined the cast as Supergirl's sister, Alex, and that David Harewood is going to be playing Hank Henshaw, who I read is, what, Cyborg Superman? It strikes me as the show is kind of shaping up to be the middle ground between Gotham and The Flash. That You've got, you've got all these characters from the <laughs> Superman universe, but really yeah. you're not properly going to see Superman. And then you've got all of these, you've got these nice little nods and winks to Superman, Supergirl of the past and also I'm, I'm generally liking all the people they're casting david hair was yeah. a great actor um chyla lee was totally in uh, not another teen movie and dean kane oh yeah. <laughs> i'm so happy that dean kane is gonna be back on my tv um, screens not in not in um hallmark movies it is it's really interesting that yeah like you say i mean this is and if it is a similar thing to gotham in terms of doing all the, ter- the tertiary characters you know, without doing the main character, I think it's a better way of doing it than here's all here's what the world was like before they arrived. Because mm. I think that's a terrible way to do a superhero story. <laughs> I like the idea that Superman is out there doing his thing, and she's yeah. kind of like in the shadows, kind of I, trying to come to grips with it on a on a smaller level. 
it works because because you can't really do Supergirl without Superman is the thing. You know, it, it just intrinsic. If you want to do Supergirl without Superman, you do Power Girl. If you're doing Supergirl, you're making an explicit choice to have a character who has to have that connection to Superman. Even in the comics, Superman's supporting cast have tended to be her supporting cast. And a big example of that is Cat Grant, who in the most recent Supergirl volume before the reboot, she was kind of Supergirl's J. Jonah Jameson, basically. So bringing her into the TV series makes sense. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw someone like Lana Lang at some point. Yeah, have a world where Superman is off out in the world. Don't explicitly reference him that often, but know that he's there and do some fun stuff with with what is a good set of Superman supporting characters. Okay, so going back to the Arrow Flash universe, it sounds like the CW are working on another spin-off to those shows. And originally, everyone seemed to think that that was either going to be about Firestorm or the Atom. The CW have some crazy plan up their sleeves, which apparently would be a superhero team-up show headlined by Brandon Routh, who was the Atom, uh, Victor Garber, who is playing one half of Firestorm, uh, Wentworth Miller, who was Captain Cold on The Flash, and Katie Lotz, who was the original Black Canary on Arrow, but is now dead, so we don't know how that would work <laughs> whatsoever. Um, and also that there would be at least three major DC Comics characters who've never appeared in a TV series who would also be part of the lineup. This sounds crazy. To be fair, like Warner's entire strategy for making TV series appears to be what's the craziest idea we've got. <laughs> like, oh, a, a Batman series that hasn't got Batman in, that'll, that'll do well. And, uh, what, Supergirl? Why not? We can't have Superman. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying they're clearly just, you know, throwing stuff at a wall. These would be directly spinning off of two series which are, you know, accepted wisdom. Pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I like the idea of Brandon Routh being given the chance to headline a DC-related show again. Although, I think if they were looking for a body double for Superman, um, <laughs> they've already got one on their books, and, and they've cast another one <laughs> in Supergirl anyway. So that is a lot of confidence in Dean Cain's current physique. <laughs> <laughs> you mean he doesn't look exactly the same as he did in 1993? By the way, we're going to have to do the new Adventures of Lois and Clark on this show at some point. Oh, hell because... yeah. <laughs> I've been looking for an excuse to go back and watch that from the start. Alongside the Superman the original Superman movies that was my introduction to superheroes and yeah. I absolutely loved that show I did um, as well especially yeah. when he got insane towards the end and had uh, time travelling and stuff in but yeah, no, this seems interesting and fun and ridiculous. Everything DC's comics aren't. <laughs> it just seems that TV is where they're getting stuff right at the moment, with the possible exception of Gotham, but there are people who like it. So yeah, why not? I, w I, would, have tr I would have faith in them. Yeah, so our, so our final piece of news is that Matt Fraction, who I totally read a comic book of his for the show last week, um, oh. and Kelly Sue DeConnick uh, have signed a two-year deal with Universal TV to adapt some of their comic books to series as well as come up with original TV series concepts. But the headline news is that they are going to be adapting Sex Criminals first. Um, so, guys, tell me about Sex Criminals and is it a good idea? C can I just lay a bet now? There will never be a Sex Criminals TV series yeah, that will get broadcast I'm by anyone. I'm doubly of that opinion. There is no way you can do Sex Criminals on TV and make it work in a broadcastable way. Not if you want to preserve anything that makes it worth existing. So this is two, This is a couple who freeze time when they orgasm. That's the high concept, right? Yes. Yeah. You have to wonder which, which network would be happy to run with that. So why do you think that's the one that they're, they're starting off with? 
basically because the the comic of sex criminals is the name makes it sound a lot sort of more offensive and juvenile than it is mm. like the the actual story is kind of sex positive and kind of reflective of modern attitudes like it's a it's a really good comic and it explores a lot of interesting sort of personal issues that almost nothing else ever bothers to address like uh, there's a fairly major subplot about sort of the realities of depression and how that affects your sex life quite literally i can see why someone would go oh sex criminals is really good let's adapt it yeah, I mean, it's 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 a really strong-selling comic that's won loads of awards and is pretty universally loved by... Yeah, and it, like, the concept is just <laughs> so original as well. Like, original and audacious, and you can, you can see someone going, that would make a brilliant TV show. The idea of someone actually making it in a way that does it justice, I can't see that happening. Okay, so if that... If, if you're not confident that that will actually make it to screens, which of their comics do you think would be a safer bet? He does another comic called Casanova, which is sort of like if Keith Richards was James Bond. That is the best one-line summary of Casanova I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's about alternate realities, like mind-swapping bodies, secret organisations, just time travel. There's everything in there. It, Casanova would seem like the obvious one, but again, the more you think about it, the more that you think that so much of what it does would be difficult to translate and, and keep why it's good. Um, James, I mean, James, are you still reading Pretty Deadly? Have you got anything to say about that? Because uh, we haven't mentioned any of Kelly Sue's. Pretty stuff. Deadly hasn't uh, been published for a while. It was it sort of did about five issues and then stopped. Uh. That said, of all the comics that they're talking about, that like Fraction and Deconic have done, I think Pretty Deadly is the best bet for a TV show. If only because it's a Western, so it's an easy sell. It's supernatural, so, you know, it's sort of... It's got a spin on the concept and you can get an actress who is sort of on the cusp of becoming a big star to to helm it kind of like jennifer garner when she did alias right we'll move on now to our spoiler filled discussion of agent carter but before we dive in let's listen to a clip from the show we now return to the captain america adventure program because our hero's defenseless sweetheart finds herself in the clutches of evil american women are so weak you are coming with us if only Captain America were here to rescue me. This Carver isn't going anywhere with you, Nazi scum. Seize him! Hit him again, Cap. Had enough yet? Are you all right, Miss Carver? Is that all you've got? Hello? Mr. McPhee? Captain America, what would I ever do without you? Why does this keep happening? Okay, so that was a clip from Agent Carter. Before we get going, I think it's probably worth saying, so we are going to be pretty much completely spoilery here. So if you haven't seen Agent Carter and you're still planning on doing and don't want to be spoiled, maybe pause the podcast now and whenever you've watched it, come back and listen to the podcast then. But if you haven't seen it and think, I'm probably not going to get around to watching Agent Carter, but I would quite like to know what I missed out on. This is the podcast for you because I'm about to give you a brief overview of kind of everything important that happens in Agent Carter. So pre-prepared this, here we go. In 1946, Peggy Carter is working for the Strategic Scientific Reserve in New York City, still mourning the loss of Steve Rogers. Her colleagues, who include uh, Shea Wiggum's Chief Dooley, Chad Michael Murray's Agent Thompson, and the slightly more sympathetic Enver Gokaj's Agent Sousa, 
uh, generally view her as inferior due to her gender and confine her to clerical work. The SSR begin to investigate Howard Stark for apparently selling weapons to enemies of the United States, but Howard reaches out to Peggy and convinces her to act as a double agent on his behalf to clear his name with the help of his butler Jarvis, played by James Darcy. Howard Stark later secretly returns and asks Peggy to recover a key dangerous piece of tech from the SSR film, and Peggy discovers it's actually a vial of Steve Rogers' blood. Peggy's investigations are focused on a Soviet organisation called Leviathan, and her covert work leads the SSR to recover the stolen Stark technology. A young woman named Dottie moves in next door to Peggy, and is revealed to be an undercover Leviathan assassin, who was trained from childhood in an early version of what the showrunners have confirmed to be the Black Widow programme. Peggy unites with the Howling Commandos during a mission to infiltrate the very same Leviathan base in Russia, where they save a psychiatrist prisoner called Dr. Ivshenko. Sousa discovers that Carter is working with Stark and assumes she's a traitor. Dr. Ivshenko, meanwhile, is revealed to be a key member of Leviathan with the ability to hypnotise those around him. While in custody, Carter realises Ivchenko is communicating in Morse code with Dottie across the street and uses the information to regain the trust of her fellow agents, but not before Ivchenko and Dottie make off with some stark tech. Ivchenko has also hypnotised Chief Dooley, who has to sacrifice himself to save the rest of the team. Throughout the course of the series, Dooley has been investigating a World War II battle in which German soldiers were alleged to have massacred a battalion of Russians. A German officer confirms to Dooley that by the time they arrived, the Russians there were already dead, and Dooley also learns that Howard Stark visited the battlefield afterwards to clean up the mess. The stolen tech that Ivchenko and Dottie take is revealed to be a gas that was used in that battle, which causes those exposed to it to fall into a rage psychosis and kill those around them. Ivchenko was a survivor of that battle, and it's revealed that his real name is Johann Fenhoff, aka Dr. Faustus. Faustus and Dottie kidnap Howard Stark and hypnotise him into flying over Times Square on VE Day to spread the gas. Peggy fights Dottie, who manages to escape, and Sousa apprehends Faustus. Peggy then communicates with Howard, who believes he's on his way to save Captain America, and manages to break through the hypnosis just in time, as she and Howard finally come to terms with the loss of Steve Rogers. Peggy pulls Steve's blood away into the East River, and back at the SSR, Agent Thompson takes all the credit. In a post credit scene, a gag Dr. Faustus is put into a jail cell, which he will share with Hydra's Arnim Zola. The end! That is Agent Carter. Wow, I'm, I wasted eight hours of my life watching that TV show. <laughs> Did I miss anything key? Was that, is that the main point? Uh, that all seems fair. Okay. Well, guys, um, let's jump back slightly. Can you tell me about Agent Carter's history in the comic books and, and how that relates to what we saw in the series? Um, let me just get this postage stamp and I'll, I'll finish writing the comics history of, of Peggy Carter on the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not very... like Until the Captain America movie, Like you didn't see a lot of Peggy Carter. She wasn't even British, right? Not in the comics, no. She, she didn't have black hair either. <laughs> she didn't have black hair. She didn't have a name. She was brought in in the 60s for a couple of appearances as a flashback character... Uh, Captain America's love interest in flashback scenes in the 60s that showed him during the war, basically. So she appeared in, like, two issues in the 1960s and didn't even have a name. Um, Then in the 70s, when they introduced Sharon Carter, who was a more significant recurring love interest for Steve in the present day, um, Peggy began to show up as her... Well, first her older sister, and then, due to the nature of 
Marvel time and the sliding timeline, um, was then retconned to be her aunt. So she was around a little bit more from then on, but still not very extensively at all, because Sharon was the important character. Peggy was just the character that was the link between Sharon and Captain America before he was revived. So essentially, really, when it comes to Peggy Carter, what we really should be caring about is Hayley Atwell in the Captain America, the first Avenger and the Agent Carter one shot that followed. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what, what did you guys think of her pre this miniseries then? You know, I liked her in the film. I can't say I was, I wasn't clamoring for a spinoff with her in pretty I much was. straight out the, yeah, straight <laughs> so out the gate. A lot of people were, were like, Oh, I want to see more of it. Like, no, I was genuinely devastated that at the end of the first Avenger that I was like, Oh man, the, best the kind of the best female character that the mcu has introduced is one that i'm probably never going to be able to see again because of the timelines so when this happened i was thrilled i think i was already sort of had that feeling about cat dennings so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about the one shot because the one shot was agent carter working for the ssr going off doing a secret mission getting in trouble with all her fellow agents and her boss at the ssr who were massively sexist but then howard Stark rings up and says hey hey guys uh, actually the ssr is going to become shield and agent carter's going to run it so screw you all does do we think that remains canon after having seen the show i'm strongly of the opinion that it does i know people who think otherwise i really hope it does I think I think it leaves the door open for it to be canon at the very least. There are people I know who think that this series involves Peggy Carter leaving the SSR, which isn't something I thought. Well, no, that that's explicitly not what happens at the end. <laughs> it does leave it ambiguous as to whether she's going to carry on with her job or not. I mean, it, it it gives her the option not to, but the point is, is that she theoretically gets fired by someone who is then killed and. She is then, when everything's sorted out, the fact that she was going to be fired is basically forgotten. And it seems to me pretty clear that she's sticking around. They say to her, are you coming back? And she says, I don't know. But it doesn't mean the that she's quo is it's left. definitely leaving. Well, no, that's the point. Like, they, If they do a series two, they can pick it up however they like. But I think it's very likely she stays with the SSR. I mean, I was secretly rooting for the show to arrive at a point where the various members of the current SSR had been disposed of and suddenly the office is inhabited by their new boss, Bradley Whitford, Bradley and, Whitford. The, and, <laughs> and then it seamlessly hits the one shot and if Agent Carter ever did return that we would have a series there with her at the start of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now that doesn't happen, but Agent Dooley is no longer the boss. It's heavily implied at the end of the miniseries that Agent Thompson, who has kind of assumed control, is going to be in line for a promotion. It seems to me that they could very easily, if they do a second series, kind of say, look, that's what happened. The the one shot happened and now we've got... Yeah, I mean, I think it's entirely likely that given the era we're talking about and the sort of politics of Agent Carter, that everyone around her gets promoted away and she's stuck there still at her desk. Like, I think that that's fine as, you know, as an ending to the show. As the, you know, if you treat the one shot as the coda... That works for me. And given how committed Marvel have been to preserving continuity, specifically by using one-shots in the past to (laughs) maintain continuity, it would seem crazy to me when they have the opportunity to keep the one-shots canon that this miniseries would invalidate it. And I I, I really hope that everything in the MCU 
remains canon because they've done the job they've done the job so well so far why why break it there's nothing in this that directly contradicts the one shot and says that the one shot isn't canon agent carter keeps itself very specifically just after the events of captain america and largely a couple of little things aside doesn't impact hugely the rest of the marvel cinematic universe i.e if marvel really wanted to ignore that this had ever happened they could probably do that without breaking continuity so my question is did agent carter feel essential to you and also did you enjoy it did you think it was good i don't think we've we've uh, touched on that yet <laughs> essential is an odd word because i mean like i mean i'm i'm pretty heavily invested in the mcu but as we've discussed i don't watch agents of shield and maybe in <laughs> well, some exactly. ways agents of shield is is more essential in inverted commas to the overarching story yeah but you you have decided it's not essential that's what i mean um i don't think agent carter is essential i but i found it to be a very enjoyable series to watch um more so as it went on to be honest i loved it and as far as i'm concerned like there's no such thing as essential even as far as the films are concerned like as long as it's good that's what that's all that matters Hmm. that's why agents of shield is not essential um well my next question was going to be how how you felt this worked as a replacement as a mid-season replacement for agents of shield is this something you'd like to see happen every year because honestly i kind of thought that eight episodes was was kind of about right for Agent Carter. I almost think it could have got by on six episodes with the plot it had. Does, did it did it work for you with the with the length of the run? And if this was to be a you know regular thing year in year out, would you be happy for that to carry on? I would say one of my few complaints about Agent Carter's story is that given the way it got, got dropped in the middle of Agents of Shield, I sort of assumed it would tie in a little bit more than it mm. did. Like, there was no real link to the events of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it just sort of seems like if they're occupying the same slot and they're from the same studio and they've tra- they even trailed it in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. By having Peggy Carter make a few appearances here and there, like, it, even to the point of literally getting Hayley Atwell in to record new footage. You know, it sort of seemed, why, why wasn't the TV series anything to do with that? Yeah, and we had, even even if you just look at the two episodes that, I think it was two episodes, that Hayley Atwell showed up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. via flashback. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the one hand, I think you could say, uh, good that they just kept those flashbacks to be relevant to the story that S.H.I.E.L.D. was telling and didn't try and do more than that. But it, it did seem a bit disappointing to me that those flashbacks that we saw of Agent Carter and S.H.I.E.L.D. had absolutely zip to do with to do with uh agent carter in fact i think one happened one happened way before the events of the series still during the war and one happened after the series when she was part of shield well and also explicitly in agents of shield they were dealing with a character who demonstrably had an extended lifespan such that he was around during world war Two. like mm. this would this would have been the perfect opportunity to use Daniel Whitehall, yeah, and they skimmed over it. So obviously they wanted it to stand alone. Uh, whether that was the you know the best idea is debatable given the ratings. But when it comes to Hydra, Hydra, uh, bef- uh, until we get to that very last post-credit scene on the eighth episode, Hydra don't play into this at all. Well, no, I mean the thing is, the status quo of Hydra was after World War Two they'd been defeated and were gone. So you can sort of see why they use Leviathan instead. But, but they could they could have been mopping up, and there could have been people like Whitehall who they knew were out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the thing. Like they've clearly made the decision that this does not attach itself to anything other than Captain America. And to be fair, it did it did lean on the Captain America connection. In uh, I would say in a, in, a, in, a, in a nicer and a more subtle way. So obviously we had Howard Stark turning up with Dominic Cooper's Howard Stark, 
um, who then introduced Jarvis to the series, which I thought was a nice a nice touch. And and generally, Peggy's arc was her arc throughout the series was coming to terms with the death of Steve Rogers, which only happens kind of a year earlier in in the timeline. The idea that that was the arc for the whole series, I think, is possibly a bit overstating it. Like they no, certainly the, the, the emotional arc of the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like certainly that it became that by the conclusion. I'm not sure it set it up as that early on. No, but I think it's I think it's hinted at throughout, especially with Steve the episode with Steve's blood. Yeah, I sort of I would like to go back and and read it in those terms because I think you know while Captain America was always a presence in there, you know, and there was a bit of sort of you know maybe the most important thing I'm ever going to do has happened. Now what? Especially with Howard Stark as well, they lent on that idea much more in the finale than they did in the preceding episodes yeah that's true do you guys think that the kind of emotional resonance or whatever of the peggy and steve story um and you know what happens at the end of first avenger and then her coming to terms with it over the course of this series do you think that's at all lessened how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. By knowing that she's still alive when he comes back. Because I remember thinking when he came back in Avengers that, that Peggy would be dead. And it was a genuine surprise to me when she showed up in Winter Soldier. Mm. You know... Um, there was a deleted scene in Avengers that established that she was dead. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah there was. And they they changed it for Captain America 2. It was just a stroke of luck that it happened to be a deleted scene and the screenwriters of Winter Soldier went, oh, 
could we? Could we bring her in for a scene? I think it's more tragic, maybe, for the character that she ends it sort of riddled with Alzheimer's and unable to mm. comprehend that, you know, Steve is back after such a long yeah. time. I think, if anything, it's it, it makes the relationship even more bittersweet. And, and I, yeah. like that, I, I like that generally throughout the Captain America, Agent Carter storyline, they have felt as important to each other, that this isn't, this isn't, especially now that Agent Carter is... Peggy is headlining her own series. This isn't a this isn't a love interest. This is two characters who happen to feel very deeply for each other and we see how that affects each of them in their own titles. Mhm. Yeah, mm. it's good. It was quite it's quite interesting seeing Steve Rogers put in the position of being the love interest. I mean, you say you say not specifically love interest, but essentially filling that role. Like yes. Steve Rogers plays the role in Agent Carter that she played in First Avenger, admittedly without actually being in it. Let's specifically address all the MCU crossover. So obviously we've got all of the the fallout from Captain America that um, Dominic Cooper shows up as Howard Stark. I think in in three episodes, I think. Uh, yeah, episode one, four, and eight. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. almost needs a character like him. I felt like every time he came in, it was Agent Carter showing up with this guy who's kind of a movie star, who's also, you know, <laughs> can, can stroll in and out of this series with this big personality. And every time he showed up, it, I thought it was kind of like a little shot in the arm. It's funny, when, when we talked in the last episode about Iron Man feeling like a film that was directed by Tony Stark, <laughs> and here you've got a character who is supposed to have that feel of when he walks into a room, it's like a movie star walking in, and yeah, like you say, and then so, because the character is a movie character, I mean, I know Peggy is as well, but it's her series, so yeah, him showing up is like, oh, it's a movie star. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, the problem with that is that whenever Howard Stark turns up, it badly overshadows literally everyone else. Like even even Haley Atwell is like struggling to edge her way back onto screen when he's there. Not as much as as Jarvis. Not as much as Jarvis, admittedly. <laughs> but I, I I would say more. It was the case of the writers really wanting to make the most of using Dominic Cooper when he was around. I didn't feel it because I think Haley Atwell is the best actor on the show, better a better actor than Dominic Cooper even, and. I think whenever she's on screen, as long as she's given something to do, she's fantastic. And I, I, I never felt that she was overshadowed. I felt that sometimes the writers felt a little bit in awe of the other people that they were using, especially Howard. The thing where it bothered me most was in the series finale, where... She sidelined for the first half of the finale. Well, she's sidelined for the end of the finale as well. Like, her role is to... Like, I get that they were mirroring what happened at the end of Captain America, and that is fine. Hmm. But at the same time, she's sitting in a chair talking into a microphone, much like we are now. And other people are off having the kind of exciting bit of the adventure. Yeah, and when she gets her final showdown with Dottie, who we'll get to, who's a character I think we all really liked, um, and a performance we all really liked, but that, that mm-hmm. felt rushed. It felt like that the, the fight didn't really live up to what it should have done. Yeah, shall we talk about it now? Like, Dottie was the assassin who was potentially a younger Black Widow-type character. Hmm. Well, yeah, uh, well, and... we were we were ostensibly talking about MCU crossover. The showrunners have said that the training program that we see flashbacks to, and we also meet a young girl who in, in 1946 who is being trained to be an assassin, that they're all part of a Black Widow program, which is a forerunner of, obviously what happens to Natasha Romanoff in the movies. But the show never says Black Widow program. It just shows you these young girls being trained to be Soviet assassins. Mm-hmm. 
is that is that a problem? I I wish I just wish that sometimes that these smaller Marvel properties, the TV properties, had the had the license to really go. Look, we're a part of this universe. This is a thing. This maybe you're well, gonna yeah. maybe this is gonna be something that you retread over in Age of Ultron because we know we're gonna get Natasha flashbacks. I think I think I think that's the reason why. Yeah, that's that's the reason why they haven't been able to i think i think i think it steps a little too closely into something that it looks like age of ultron's going to go into and rather than have to spend time coordinating it they i think it's a case of putting the foot down and saying nah don't just just don't go near that so that you don't inadvertently contradict us yeah agents of shield had a for like the first half of the season it kept introducing characters who had the same name as people in the comics and who would sort of end the episode by maybe getting some powers or something, but they couldn't couldn't put them in a costume and couldn't use their villainous identity. And it was sort of like, well, we're doing it as much as we can, but we have to leave it ambiguous in case someone in the movies goes, oh, we want to use Graviton. Hmm. The Black Widow thing, when I, when I actually read the interview with the showrunners who said that is the Black Widow program, I thought... I mean, that's that's the thing that annoys me on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. When Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of alludes to being part of this bigger universe, to being part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and says stuff like, oh, uh, that's something like Tony Stark would do. And you go, that's just distracting. By, by making that comparison, you're just distracting me from... You're basically saying to me, hey, look, we're part of this universe, but we can't explore any of the more interesting parts of it. And I think mm-hmm. that S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, that Agent Carter in its Captain America stuff, did that really well. It felt like a continuation of the story and of the characters we met in Captain America. But particularly with the Black Widow stuff, I found that so frustrating. I I quite liked that, I mean, in general, I quite liked that Agent Carter was more its own self-contained thing. I mean, obviously it does have the links that we've talked about, but, you know, a lot of it was its own story and its own characters. And Dottie is a good example of that, because, I mean, I thought Dottie was pretty much the best thing about the show. I know you, Joe, probably won't agree with me on that, because she's not Hayley Atwell. And part of that is the fact that she was a brand new character Mm. with a name that hadn't been used before so i had absolutely no idea what she was going to turn out to be so so it's a genuine surprise when this almost nothingy background character who showed up a bit earlier on turns out to be who she is you know i I liked that i think just think it was carving out its own little corner without feeling the need every five minutes to say we're directly connected to this stuff and also like i say just as as someone who knows quite a lot about the comics it's nice to be surprised by things <laughs> yes I'm, I'm totally on on board with you there like in terms of this telling its own story and I'm, I'm, and its own self-contained story I'm, I'm totally on board with that and in fact i think it would bear mentioning that agent carter doesn't suffer from any of the usual prequel problems there is no sense of predestination about this because it is telling a story and you don't know how that story is going to mm. end up like mm-hmm. Leviathan could be, this could be the rise of Leviathan. This could be Leviathan becoming a big force in the MCU, but maybe a force that are kind of snubbed out by the time we get to the modern day movies. There's, I feel like there's enough of a gap that this doesn't suffer from any of those prequel problems. Mm-hmm. My issue is more that when it does bring up stuff from the MCU, whether it does that well or not. So for instance, when Dum Dum Dugan turns up and she meets up <laughs> with the Howling Commandos. I was just about to say, Commandos. what about when Dum Dum Dugan turns <laughs> up? That's great, I loved because that, that's though. a pre-existing yeah. relationship and we see those characters talk and banter and, you know, it feels like two old friends meeting back up again. And I even liked the, like, um, Vanko turning up, who was supposed to be, like, the father of Mickey Rourke's character who from um, Iron Man 2. That's a nice little... I think it's almost like a nice little wink for the eagle-eyed fan. 
And I think that sometimes Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does this as well, where it's just a nice little wink and a nod to go, hey, thanks for paying attention to our entire universe. We're going to reward you with these little Easter eggs from time to time. The thing that annoys me is something like the Black Widow program, where it's it's introduced, but it's not even said. And it kind of makes you feel like uh, I'm watching something that is it's being held back by its TV status. Yeah, it's not they... being allowed to explore everything. It what could. would it have gained from being able to say that, though? If they had explicitly said this is called the Black Widow program, aside from being a little punch the air moment, what would have been different about the show? Oh, then I then I wish then don't go and talk about it in interviews and say, oh, this is Black Widow. Yeah, well, that's what's, that's what's the, problem, the point of it? Really, <laughs> what is the point? Yeah, just have Dottie be a fucking awesome Russian assassin, which yeah. she is. She's yeah, great. Like you can you can make the make the connection yourself from that by that point, can't you? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about Dottie because Dottie's great. Her all American cover story. She is this. <laughs> ditzy blonde girl in the big city who moves in next to Peggy and Peggy kind of really doesn't have time for her um, because she's already got her lovely um, friend in Angie who's a waitress. And her previous one had got murdered. Yeah, Dottie's great. I almost I almost thought it was a shame when they introduce Ivchenko later on and kind of Dottie takes a step back and becomes the secondary villain yeah because she by that because at that point she sort of steps back to being sort of hired muscle rather than i think the only thing i think the thing that saves it is that at the end it so obviously sets her up as a recurring antagonist for peggy like by the end peggy kind of doesn't have a personal beef with ivchenko he's he you know he's been arrested and he's off and he's dealt with and yeah sure he might get out again in the future but the point with dotty is that they had their fight and it was kind of resolved and you know that if Dottie comes back she's going to be coming back after Peggy so I think at least what the show did was to say well look this is the real antagonist that we've set up for Peggy even though she's not the one who's actually behind this yeah like I like the idea that if they do Agent Carter's second series like they could bring her back in basically any context because that's her thing is like she can she can infiltrate anywhere so you know any whatever situation you you put Agent Carter in for the next series there's a chance Dottie could show up and yeah I I like that they've like carved out this sort of small 1940s marvel universe that they can explore a bit more uh, without worrying about stepping on the toes of the the movies and so what did you think of ishenko when he did come in because he kind of he becomes more and more of a presence um and he's eventually revealed to be dr faustus who i believe is a comic book character yeah at at first i you know i didn't twig that he was dr faustus like they i think they teased that out quite nicely because if they if it turned up and just said oh he's called dr faustus you'd have gone well he's an he's a villain then but like even after that first appearance i genuinely thought he was a you know he was going to help them now i know joe you had a slight problem with the hypnosis that he did Whereas it's I just, found it it's just of... a very convenient plot device that suddenly he is able to hypnotise characters at will by seemingly just talking and twisting his ring. And it didn't it didn't feel <laughs> consistent with the rest of the universe of this eight episodes of TV. I think the annoying thing was that it changed partway through because what was quite clever early on was that the way that he got Dooley, he didn't just walk into the SSR and start hypnotising people. He had long conversations with Dooley and kind of got inside his mind. Mm. And then he did the same with the agent who he got to to um, give him the map and commit suicide and stuff. So there was this sense that what he does is he has to work slowly on someone and get a sense of them and talk to them. And that worked really well. And then all of a sudden, in the last episode, you've got, don't let him speak because if he speaks, he'll hypnotise you instantly. <laughs> 
completely. Yeah. And it's you've just completely changed. I mean, how I sort of I didn't find it as difficult to accept because once once I knew he was Faustus, like I knew that with his with his thing, mm. it would be like you know if Bruce Banner turns up, you you, you expect <laughs> him to turn into the Hulk. Let's talk a, about the gender politics of the show, and generally, like this is a big theme from the first episode onwards: the sexism of the world that Agent Carter inhabits, and also the feminist agenda of the show in general. And I would recommend that everyone head to the AV Club. There was a really great article by Caroline seed last week which is the fascinating flawed gender politics of agent carter i mean i i first of all would like to say i think it's a great thing that this show exists and in terms of i mean you you talked about miss marvel earlier in the episode and i'm (laughs) aware that that is a comic book that is attracting a different demographic of comic book readers at the moment and just i mean i was searching around on twitter to see who was talking about agent carter pre this episode and it seems to have an enormous female fan base and so many people who are cosplaying as agent carter and just the very existence of this show of a marvel show that is it's centered around a female character who for me doesn't fall into the dumb strong female character cliche which this av club uh, article mentioned where she is not a strong female character in that she is a female character who is physically strong and has badass moments. She is a complex human being who you like, who makes complete sense as the lead of this TV show. And then, interestingly as well, is navigating this world, which is very specifically sexist. And it almost seems like Marvel getting a little bit meta and going, kind of looking at itself as an organisation and going... Yeah, isn't it about time we we put female characters front and center and stop making them just the love interest? I think that is it's all good that they've done that. At the same time, it's a bit like this is sort of sexism one oh one. Yeah. Like it's still it's still not as feminist a TV show as Buffy was and Buffy's like twenty years old or something by now. It's like, well, it's good that they're trying, but you know, is this the best they can do? It's that difficult situation where they're setting it in a world that's explicitly sexist. So you can't have too many female characters who are around her as part of the SSR. But yeah, I mean this 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 article mentions just for example Natalie Dormer's character in Captain America 2 who was explicitly someone who was working for the SSR during the war. So are we are we supposed to believe that Peggy is the only female member of the SSR who managed to still work for them after the war? Well, even like you don't even have to look at the SSR, you just have to look at the world around her. Like you've got Agent Carter who is a complex character. Like all the other women are one note, you know, cartoons basically, even even Dotty. I'm not sure whether they are one note cartoons, but certainly the show doesn't explore them. But at the same time, everyone else that works in the SSR with her are kind of one note. They start off one note, like start, you know, the start of the series Dooley is a kind of overbearing sexist uh, boss by the end of the show like you you've got an insight into his family life and you know he's mm. his opinions of peggy have changed uh contrast that with angie like can you tell me two things about angie's character that don't involve her working as a waitress and being an actor i agree with what you're saying i at the same time i did enjoy in the later episode that you know peggy actually had a friend who was willing to stick by her when the when the ssr were after her i thought it was it was it was kind of a nice moment and yeah i don't think they did enough with that character and and the reason i point people in direction of the av club article is because i agree i think this show does touch on these issues without really 
it's true. It's got it's got a very <laughs> flawed but interesting gender politics running through it. I think almost they they rely a little too much on Haley Atwell and Peggy Carter being unequivocally great and. They didn't do enough work around her. I think that's fair. I think there were there, there were more opportunities that they didn't take. I like it, and I think they did a lot right. I just I don't want to pat pat it on the back for what is a, a pretty meager effort. Or think and it does it. kind of pat itself on the back for it a fair bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite smug about oh look, we're we're showing a woman doing stuff. Mm. We do have to mention that the very first piece of marketing for this TV show said sometimes the best man for a job is a woman. Uh, which was a huge, huge mistake and hopefully one that both ABC and Marvel learn from in the future. Uh, that's not that's not acceptable. It's nothing else. That, that advert is very patronising towards its potential audience. Just actually, but though, to, just to pick up on one point from the... You mentioned it, and it was a point from the AV Club article, the thing about there being female characters in the SSR during the war, but then the war ends and Peggy's the only one. That feels to me, though, like a deliberate reflection of what happened generally in working life when the war ended. The idea that that the only reason that Peggy is still around is because of this this connection to Captain America and the kind of, you know, the favours from upstairs. You know, this is a world that would have just completely shunned her once the war was over and the men could get back to doing what the men were supposed to do, Mm. you know. But I think while that's fair and justifiable, I think it doesn't get away from the fact that the show, while ostensibly having a feminist agenda didn't really carry that as far as it could have done oh absolutely absolutely no i would yeah i would totally well, agree this is but... the point i was going to say like mad men is a show about women who are being marginalized but they they make it work by you know having varied female characters who have complex personalities yeah. and it's agent carter goes about half as far as that yeah. and, and and let's bring this back to to Peggy, to Agent Carter, who is... Uh, I mean, I've, I've waxed lyrical about her already, but I think i think she's really great as a lead character, as someone who is this ass-kicking agent who we're already invested in if we're watching this show because we most likely already watched Captain America. But like going back to that emotional arc that she that i think she, I, I think she does have over the series which in the final episode it's kind of like she learns both to let go of steve uh and to not let that relationship define her for the rest of her life and also to she is completely sure of her competence and she's not going to spend the rest of her life proving she's capable to men when she knows that she's more than capable um and I just think Hayley Atwell is super great. And <laughs> even in it, it just her performance has these little moments where she kind of lets her guard down. And I and I, I was saying this um, pre-recording that there is the great moment in Captain America for me where when Steve comes out of the machine and he is suddenly big and muscly and he's got these pecs and Peggy just reaches out for one of his pecs and then checks herself and goes, oh, what am I doing? And I liked the idea of that running through the show, and you got it in little glimpses of Peggy's performance, particularly in her scenes with Jarvis. Uh, it has to be said, she has fantastic chemistry with James Darcy. Completely platonic chemistry, but really great. Where you just see her guard slip, and she stops being this super professional SSR agent for just a little second, and you get a glimpse of the person that she is underneath. It's, it's a very human performance, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I like the suggestion that maybe the second series will jump ahead 10 years and and see where 
she is. I think I'd rather see that. I think that'd be more interesting. I'll be honest. That was what I was originally hoping this series would be. But if that if that is series two and and the, the show's still in the bubble, it's not it's not certain whether it will come back but i hope it yeah. does another another eight episodes next year i think would be kind of perfect I, I would say it is absolutely criminal that this did worse in the ratings than <laughs> agents of shield because that show like um you mentioned um hayley atwell's chemistry with james darcy and we haven't really talked about jarvis one of the things i think is quite interesting about the show is that it felt to me and maybe this was just to do with the chunks in which i watched it but it felt to me like two quite different half seasons and i think basically the turning point is the dotty reveal and because that kind of kicks that plot into motion and i feel like in the second half of the series it becomes a i think it becomes a more interesting plot generally but one of the ways that it really changes is that Jarvis becomes quite marginalised, having been quite an... Imp- I mean, almost kind of the co-lead in the first couple of episodes. Mm. I mean, what did you guys think of Jarvis? I like him, but I don't know if he was a bit underused in the second half. I thought he was a, he was a great foil for Peggy Carter, which is all he needed to be, and he was funny and he had nice little character moments. They set the show up at the beginning as, like, here is the status quo, she will be retrieving Howard Stark's stuff, and he's going to be helping her, and then they almost instantly resolve that and go off in a different direction. Mm. Which I think was always the plan. It did seem to me like a very specific show. And and talking about the show being kind of a show of two halves, I agreed the plot, the the overarching plot becomes a lot more interesting in the second half of the series. But I felt the first handful of episodes, and particularly the first two episodes, they've got proper movie screenwriters and directors working on those episodes. And I think that showed. Mm -hmm. While I agree it got got interesting in the second half as the, the real plot came together... I really enjoyed the, the the dialogue in the first couple of episodes. In that first episode, we got two really great action sequences and we got Peggy reacting emotionally to her roommate being killed. Um, I thought in terms of writing and direction, the show came out of the, out of the gates really strong. And, and while the, the more interesting parts of the plot were saved for the second half, I think in terms of single episodes that were really good, I think the first... The first episode and, and the first two or three in general were, for me, stronger. Okay, let's let's go right to the end of the series as we will probably start to wrap up this conversation now. And we get that post credit scene with uh, Dr. Faustus being put in a jail cell and Toby Jones is there. Uh, Toby Jones, who seems just game for anything in the Marvel Universe, which I'm I'm thrilled by. I will never get sick of Toby Jones unexpectedly showing up in Marvel things. If every single Marvel film had an unexpected Toby Jones cameo, I would be happy. I mean, they wouldn't, they'd stop being unexpected, but I would still love them always. So then, so then what, what is going on in the final scene here as far as you're concerned? Is it just a cool Toby Jones cameo? My thinking here is this is Arnim Zola uh, re-establishing his power base for building Hydra within S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, he's got this ally who is part of Leviathan, and I think, like, in the comics, Leviathan is an offshoot of Hydra. Hmm. But it seems like here it's going to be Leviathan is Hydra's way of re-establishing itself. From uh, the Winter Soldier, it seems like Arnim Zola is the reason uh, Hydra sort of grew within S.H.I.E.L.D., and I think this is the start of that. Like, he's he's finding allies and people who can communicate with the outside and have, have organisations and reasons to dislike the SSR. Okay, and we're all kind of saying we enjoyed the series, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would definitely I like want to see, see more. more. Of it. 
Yeah. Okay, so I, I've no idea where you're going to go with this, given that you said that Adrian <laughs> Carter has very little comics history. But what are you recommending I should read from the comics after having watched Agent Carter? Uh, I would like to recommend The Marvel's Project. The Marvel's Project. Which is, it's a six-issue miniseries from about, oh, was it 2009? Uh, it's by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting. And basically, it's about the origins of superheroes in the... 1940s Marvel Universe. Uh, I'll stay up front. As far as I'm aware, Peggy Carter's not in it, but I think if you like sort of uh, exploring the origin, uh, you know, the the backstory of the Marvel Universe, uh, this is essentially a Captain America story which does the same kind of thing. Okay. Uh, Seb? Right, well, uh, you might have heard me laughing when James said he was recommending a comic by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting, because so am I. Uh, but it's a little bit more from left field. So I'm going to recommend Velvet, uh, which is a relatively <laughs> recent series uh, published by Image Comics, so it's not a Marvel comic. Okay. Um, but it is very... Not s- totally similar thematically, but essentially, the one-line hook of Velvet is what if Miss Moneypenny was James Bond? So it's about a character called Velvet Templeton who is a secretary at an MI6-esque government secret agency who it transpires before retiring from the field was actually their top field agent but she gets called back into action because she gets involved in a conspiracy and framed for murder and there's a massive conspiracy going on in the organization it's only like nine issues old at the moment but the first five or six however many it is issues are collected in the first story arc so the reasons why i'm recommending it obviously similar to agent carter in that it is a period piece about a kick-ass female secret agent. It's written by Ed Brubaker and drawn by Steve Epting. They are the creative team who are responsible for the only good Captain America comics ever, i.e. the run of (coughs) comics that included the Winter Soldier storyline. So while Velvet itself has no direct connection to Captain America or Agent Carter, it's by people who've written good comics about those characters. So if you like Agent Carter and you like the Captain America stuff and the Winter Soldier and all of that and if you like anything to do with espionage and Cold War intrigue then you're going to love this because it's great so two two comics with no Peggy Carter (laughs) (laughs) to be fair okay just quickly I want to mention a current a series that is currently coming out which is essentially Marvel's sort of concession to if you want to read a comic about uh, Peggy Carter and Howard Stark, this is what you get, and it's called Operation Sin. It is being, it's currently being published. I think three issues have come out out of maybe five. Like it's a limited series. So if you really want to read uh, a Peggy Carter and Howard Stark comic, that is the one to go right. for. Let's uh, move on now from Agent Carter, but a great long Agent Carter discussion there to section three of the podcast, which is the pitch. So this is where you get 30 seconds each to pitch me an idea based on the challenge that I'm about to read you. So this week, DC released their Aquaman character poster, which came with the tagline, Unite the Seven. I would like to know if you could bring together any seven superheroes in one movie, who would they be? So Seb, you start, you're the defending champion. You have 30 seconds to tell me which seven superheroes you would bring together in one film. Okay, so, well, in the spirit of uh, female empowerment that goes with doing an Agent Carter episode, uh, I would like to nominate an all-female Justice League roster. So the characters would be Black Canary, Power Girl, Zatanna, 
Uh, Saranik Natu as a Green Lantern, Rene Montoya as the question, Starfire and Donna Troy, because I know everyone else would include Wonder Woman, but I don't really like Wonder Woman, so I would have Wonder Girl instead. So, yes, all-female Justice League, it would be awesome. Great. I've realised that the challenge I've set you pretty much allows you to just read the names and then finish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Names of characters you probably haven't heard of, apart from Black Canary. No, but I'm I'm on board with the general idea. James, you've got 30 seconds to do the same. Okay, uh, I would do an Avengers vs. JLA film, which stars Iron Man, Batman, Captain America, Superman, Thor, Wonder Woman, and the seventh superhero would be Access, who is the character co-owned by DC and Marvel, who allows their universes to cross over. His superpower is that he can open up a portal between them and allow characters to cross. So he would necessarily have to be in a film that involved the Avengers and the JLA. <laughs> That's a real thing, that there is a character called Access. Yep, Axel Asher. In the, I mean, in the spirit of um, movie studios crossing over with each other, you know, which we're, which we're now getting with Spider-Man, um, I quite like your idea, James. Yeah, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't rule it out in 15, 20 years when these, when these universes <laughs> are starting to collapse in on themselves, would you? In terms of pure viability... I think that that Seb's has more of a chance of happening, but if I'm sitting in you know in a studio exec seat and thinking thinking of the cold hard cash, James has just unlocked the biggest you know the the, the biggest potential box office that you could possibly get. So I guess what I have to sit, think here is: Am I a movie executive who has the power to broker this deal with the guy on the other side of the line? I think I've got the confidence in myself that I can do that. So I'm going to hand the win to James this week. Just show him access. That's all. <laughs> I, I, I would actually like to put one point of order, which is that I think it is far more likely that DC would agree a deal to cross over with Marvel than they would do an all-female film anyway, hmm. frankly. <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, well, that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And if you have already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review. Um, in February, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name some of our favourite listeners, E.M. Bar Films, John Nugent, Timon Singh, and Janae Hussain, who are all kind enough to leave us reviews on iTunes in the past month. Um, and if you leave us a positive review, we'll give you a shout-out on this show as well. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, or you can send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. You can find episodes of this podcast at cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com, on Panel Beats, or, now that we're a Film Divider podcast, on filmdivider.com as well. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. We're going to make you indestructible. But first, we're going to have to destroy you. Cinematic Universe will return in two weeks' time with X-Men Origins Wolverine.